Welcome, everyone. For most people, this Friday is not particularly good or particularly bad. It's just Friday. And yet, for you being here tonight, it shows that you're dialed in on the reality of this Friday. And most of you maybe have never been to a Good Friday service before. In fact, this is the first one that the staff could remember that we've ever done here at South Rock Christian Church. And even though it's called Good Friday, the whole tone of tonight is one of sobriety, one of somberness. The purpose of tonight is actually not to celebrate in any way. Like our hope is to create an environment where we can sit in the weight of our sin and death and feel the cost of our sin. Now you might ask why. Well, because to stare at the cross of our sin is to understand more deeply the great care that our Creator God has for us. He has for you. And so, if this is your first time celebrating Good Friday, here's some things that you can expect. In just a few moments, we're going to sing. But we've taken all of the references out of any kind that refer to resurrection or life or power. Again, the hope is to sit in the weight of the death of Jesus. One, so that we can see how serious our death is, but two, so that we can see how deeply cared for we actually are. And we're going to read some passages tonight, but none of those passages are going to mention resurrection or life or light. There's plenty of time to do that on Saturday and Sunday, but our songs, they'll be more sober. The texts, they're going to be heavy. And at the end of a few sections of homily or segments of a sermon, we're going to contemplate the snuffing out of Jesus' life on the cross as he proclaims, it is finished. We'll consider the greatness of salvation from the gruesomeness of the cross. And at the end of tonight, the room will be dark and we'll be dismissed in complete silence. And that might feel a little bit uncomfortable for you. But let me encourage you in that moment, don't try to just make a joke. Don't try to begin talking immediately about what's next. Don't try to do something even to break the tension of the evening. Simply stay in the reality of that silence because that's the purpose of this evening. Good Friday was actually not meant to comfort, but to confront. It's not a pep rally. It's a moment of deep consideration that our worship and our gladness comes Sunday because of the weight of what happened on Friday. And so our hope tonight is as you leave in silence is that the jo you will feel the joy the next time that you enter this building and it will be more deeply felt within your soul because of this evening. And so would you join me as we begin with this corporate confession? And I'll read the words in white, and then would you respond with the words in yellow? Like the disciples in Gethsemane, we fell away from prayer at the beginning of the trial. Like Caiaphas, and the high council, we spit in your face and we slapped the Son of God. Like Peter, three times when questioned, we denied knowing the Son of God. Like the people who cried out for Barabbas, we yelled, let Christ be crucified. Like Pilate, before the yelling crowds, we wash our hands and wrongfully say, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Like the soldiers who prepared Jesus for his crucifixion, we have stripped you, placing a crown of thorns on your head, bending our knees, not to praise you, but to mock you. Like the centurion standing at the foot of the cross, we hear Jesus of Nazareth cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the distance, the curtain of the temple was torn. The earth began to shake under a sky of darkness and 
we look up filled with awe. This is a part of the story from the Jesus Storybook Bible called The Terrible Lie. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would all be over, and that would be the end of it. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would, not, they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. 
Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to battle against the snake. I will get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. Isaiah 53, 3 through 10. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand.
And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him and a great multitude of people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when, they, when, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear, or do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, in, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, or noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had, had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. My prayer for us, as we have been preparing for this weekend, is that this story is not something that we ever get tired of hearing. And I think sometimes you all are probably like me, that we hear some of these things and some of this story so often that someone will get up and read this, and it will just kind of be noise, and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But my prayer is that at least we take today, tonight, and just pause and let every single one of those words hit us hard. Now, I don't have to tell you, you don't need someone like me uh, up here telling you how significant this story is. I have uh, this habit, I've shared this uh, before with you all, but I have this habit that when I read, um, which is a lot, uh, but when I read a book that I really like or that resonates with me or one that, man, I think this, this is a pretty powerful message or one that I needed to hear right now, I will go on the internet and I will look up the author. And what I'm looking up is maybe some contact information or sometimes I'll go to the publisher's website and see if there's a way that I could send a note or something to the author. And usually it's just, hey, I want you to know what you wrote. Is, uh, it matters to me. I have no idea if this is going to land on you, but I really appreciate this. Sometimes I'll pick a paragraph or two that, said, that we'll, uh, I'll send to him saying these are the words that hit me hard. Um, every now and then I will get a response either from that publisher or from the author itself. Well, one day, a couple years ago, I sent a note to a guy who I've been following his uh, devotions. Uh, his name is Lee Eklov, and, and he's, a, he's a retired pastor. And uh, I just sent him a note saying, hey, I, I've read a couple of your books here. It's helped me out. I just want to let you know this one particularly has been a big deal to me. And he sent me an email back a couple of days later saying, hey, I'm going to be available this time next week. You want to get on a Zoom call with me? Sure, I would love to. In my head, I'm thinking there's going to be several of us that are talking uh, and he has some kind of deal. It is me talking to him in his living room, and it's just the two of us, and we talked for like two hours. And he told me this story. He was tell, telling me uh, about a sermon that he had preached, but he told me this story um, that he had uh, 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 heard from another preacher, and it goes something like this. It said, years ago, a preacher had shared how he had seen a newscast about a big, Viet, uh, about a big Vietnam veterans parade in Chicago. 
Part of the commemoration was a mobile version of the Vietnam Wall. Like the original, it bore the names of all the soldiers who had died in Vietnam. The preacher said to one newscaster, um, had asked a vet why he had come all the way to Chicago to visit the memorial and to participate in the parade. The soldier looked straight into the face of the reporter with tears flowing down, uh, and he said, because of this man right here. And as the soldier talked, he was pointing to the name of a friend that was etched in the wall. He traced the letters of his friend's name in the wall. The soldier continued to answer the reporter by saying, this, is, this man right here gave his life for me. This man right here gave his life for me. And as the news clip ended, the sobbing soldier let the tears flow as he stood there tracing the name of his friend with his finger, repeating, he gave his life for me. So I'm talking to uh, this retired pastor, Pastor Eklov, uh, uh, and he said it was hard for that man to get his heart and mind around the sacrifice of his friend. So he just kept retracing the story over and over and over again. And then he told me about how sometimes we have this same problem too. That there is, of course, someone who gave his life for us. And I don't want to grow dull to Jesus' death for me, but often I do. And so it's good for us to retrace this story over and over and over again. Because honestly, what is there that we can possibly say in response to Jesus' sacrifice? So have you, gone, have you grown dull to the cross? Is this something that you hear and it just lands, but it doesn't land? You know what I mean? Is it something that you hear and you just go, man, come on, preacher, I've got a dinner waiting for me. Man, come on, I've got this going on. Man, come on, I've got something else on the schedule. We got to get through this. We must wrestle with the unique and the uncomfortable truth of the cross. And man, is this a unique truth for us. Times uh, Magazine years ago published a story uh, the t- or an article. It was titled Universal Truths. And it was an article about Good Friday and about the Easter weekend. And the author of that said this, Good Friday commemorates sacrifice, the giving of oneself as a martyr for the love of others. So Easter is the achievement of victory through suffering. These truths, or excuse me, these are universal spiritual truths. And the more interaction acquaintance, acquaints those of different faiths with the beliefs of others, the clearer is the common acceptance of these truths. He goes on to say that this message draws the devout together from suffering, goodness can triumph. Death is not final. And then the last sentence of the article says, that is what all faiths can proclaim and where they can come together this weekend. Man, what I wouldn't give to have a conversation with that author because it is not the message of all faiths. The cross is a unique message truth to those who believe on it. The cross is a unique message for those of us who come and recognize the sacrifice of Jesus, and Jesus is not common to all faiths. Jesus is unique to those who believe on him. Not all faiths can claim this cross. It is the distinguishing mark and the very identity of the Christian. Pastor N.T. Wright tells of a story uh, of a friend of his that was a bishop that, uh, that uh, he had this encounter um, with some uh, teenagers that had, uh, were trying to make a mockery out of confession. It was a, um, uh, the type of church that, has kind of that, that follows a liturgy and you can come in and you, you can come and confess some things to the priest. But this particular time, these kids came in and they met with the minister and they confessed to all kinds of nasty sins that they didn't commit. And they were just trying to get a reaction out of this priest. And they were just making a mockery in the, uh, of, of this confessional. There were three of them there. The first two had told a laundry list of egregious acts. And then they left the confessional and they were laughing and they were snickering. And then the third one came in and he starts to do the same thing. But that's when the bishop comes out and he told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the front of the sanctuary and up there you'll see this uh, picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. I want you to go up to that cross where Christ is hanging, and I want you to say out loud three different times while looking at him, you did all of that for me, and I don't care that much. And so the boy went up, kind of half sheepishly grinning, and he looked at the picture of Christ on the cross, and he said, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. Then he said again, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And then the third time, he couldn't get the words out and he broke down. Now the bishop that was telling Pastor Wright this story says that the reason he knows that story 
is because that young man was him. See, there's something unique about the cross, something about Jesus dying there, which leaps over all theoretical discussions. It jumps all the possibilities of how we explain it this way or the way or that way or, or just the way that it grasps us. And when we are grabbed by it, somehow we have a sense that what's grasping us is truly the love of God. of the cross is unique. Uh, it truly is unique, but it's also an uncomfortable truth. Uh, there's a pastor in New York who uh, told of uh, an incident that happened at a church uh, about 20 years ago, the Church of the Holy Cross in New York City. Um, it was broken into twice, and so the news was doing a report on this. In the first break-in, the thieves made away with a metal money box that had been resting next uh, to a candle rack, and then about three or four weeks later, Vandals escaped with something much more valuable. They took uh, this uh, big giant statue. This, uh, uh, un uh, they unbolted a four-foot-long, 200-pound plaster Jesus from a meditation area. Now, this uh, statue, this, this, this kind of emblem of Jesus, was attached to an even bigger cross that was hanging on the wall. And they took the statue of Christ, but they left behind his wooden cross on the wall. And the church caretaker, his name, his name was David St. James, uh, he was being interviewed and he confessed that he was bewildered at this. He said, they just decided we're going to leave the cross and take Jesus. We don't know why they just took him. We figure if you want the crucifix, you should take the whole crucifix. In other words, St. James was saying, if you want Jesus, you take his cross too. So many are attracted to the figure of Jesus. But as for the cross, man, that's a little bit more complicated, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Even non-believers are attracted to the clever, intelligent, compassionate, sympathetic teachings of Jesus and just the way that he taught people, the way that he treated people. Many talk about uh, just how he teaches in real-life examples. You read at the book, uh, in the book of Mark at the beginning of it, uh, those that were listening to Jesus teach said, man, we have never heard anyone speak with this kind of authority. He was clear. He spoke uh, with an ethical balance to him. 
And people heard him and go, man, I think I can do that. I want that. I want that for me. Jesus' character is way above reproach. He's the model of health and wholeness. In fact, people hear what Jesus has to teach, and they want to bring that on to themselves. And if you're anything like me, you want to hear more and more of it, and you want to grow more and more and more. There was a recent Barna poll of nearly 25,000 young people that showed about three-quarters of them want to know more about Jesus. Man, Jesus is attractive. Another poll from 2022 uh, of 2,000 adults, 18 and older, shows that more than three-quarters of them who believe in God um, and half of those are mo- uh, who are more open to the God of the Bible, now, more now than they were before even the pandemic. Yet Christian commitment continues to spiral downward. And I think it's because we are attracted to Jesus, but the cross is a whole other matter. It's a whole other matter. We are quite attracted to the figure of Jesus, but it gets way more complicated when you throw in the cross. Some of us would prefer not to get too close to the violence and the blood of the cross. I mean, who wants to be associated with that type of Jesus or with Jesus with that sort of thing? But, but know that if that's you, you're in good company. Even the original disciples, even the original apostles didn't want to get too close to the cross. They eyewitnessed Jesus' teachings, his miracles. Uh, they ate and drank with the living and living with Jesus. But they got bent out of shape with the shock of the crucifixion. Some of us just want to look at the cross. Some of us just want to look at that and take in how Jesus suffered for us. We see this cross and we think, man, thank God that Jesus died for me on the cross so that I wouldn't have to. And I got to tell you, that's a true message. That's a true message. It's just not the whole thing. It's just not all of it. See, the, the, the truth is the mysterious doctrine that towers over the Christian faith, that the good news that Jesus did die in my place. But it's not everything. Some of us are content to leave the cross behind because the doctrine of atonement, and that's what that is, that he died in our place so that I wouldn't have to. We aren't quite sure we want to follow Jesus if it means we too must take up a cross. We are good with where our stories come up to Jesus's and where our road connects to his, but it's not just a merger, it's a crossroad. In Luke's gospel, he tells us earlier before the crucifixion, in chapter 9, he says this, And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever who, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You see, our crossroad is an uncomfortable truth. It's an uncomfortable truth. Deciding to follow Jesus, it means that there's a perpetual death to the self, which requires a resolve to never turn back. Avoiding the pain of our own cross is not a new syndrome for the follower of Christ, though. Augustine says in the 5th century, he says, It is necessary to die, but nobody wants to. We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And yet there stands necessity saying, This way, please. See, it's crucial. It's crucial. The cross is a calling. The cross is a beckoning. Forgiveness is on full display at the cross, but death to the old self results in life to the full. And to follow Jesus, we got to follow him to the cross. we got to bring ourselves to that place as well. There is no Jesus without the cross. There is no salvation without the cross. There is no life without the cross. And Good Friday is the reminder and the remembrance that we, too, are called to the cross.
truth of the cross is unique. No one gets to claim that except for those who are following after Jesus. But to follow after Jesus, the truth of the cross is also uncomfortable. Um, it, it forces us to die to the self so that he might live within us. But the truth of the cross is also ultimate, and we need to remember this. In Luke twenty-three thirty-four, which we read a little bit ago, Jesus' immortal prayer while he was hanging for all to see said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, i got to be honest with you. I was thinking about this. Um, I know a lot of you love those words. I love those words. And I love being able to hear those over and over and over. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But, man, I was racking my brain earlier. uh, Just thinking about those words. And I wondered, I wondered that those words put Jesus' cross at the exact right time, at the exact right place. And I wonder if that event were to happen today, if that would be Jesus' prayer now. And, and go with me on this for a second, okay? I'm not suggesting he doesn't forgive us. I believe that the cross is evidence of that. But then they didn't get it. For us, we've got 2,000 years of history on our side. I wonder if Jesus' prayer would be changed from that one. Instead of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, would his prayer sound more like this? Father, forgive them even though they know what they are doing. Years ago, 2004, the movie The Passion of the Christ was put out. And a lot of us were really, really excited about it. Those who were following Jesus were excited 
because, man, for the first time in kind of mainstream media, we were going to have a really, really great artistic picture of the crucified Lord. And it was going to create all this space for us to talk about it. It's going to create all these conversations for us to engage with. But, man, the second that movie went out, there was criticism. There's criticism for Mel Gibson, who's the one that, that wrote, produced, and put this all together. Man, Gibson, was he blaming the Jews for the death of Jesus Christ? There was another group who comes running out criticizing the, the people that made the movie. And th- this group was pushing against that, saying, no, 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 he's picking on Pilate, or he's picking on the Romans, the Gentiles. They're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. And others were putting it on the Roman officials who instituted this, this punishment, this capital punishment of crucifixion. And they were saying, man, if we didn't have that, then Jesus wouldn't have to die that way. Then there were other folks like me, there were preachers who sprinted to the pulpits. And they were saying, no, 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 don't listen to those critics over there. It wasn't the Jews, it wasn't Pilate, it wasn't the Roman officials. You know who it was that put Jesus on the cross? It was you and me. Man, there was a lot of people that were convicted by this. Preachers, man, we soaked that up. But I got to tell you, we were so close. We were so close. It is true. Your sin and my sin was pinned up on the cross. Paul tells us this in his letters. That Christ, while he was not a sinner, took on sin himself. So that he could die in our place. That is absolutely true. But ultimately... The truth of the cross is God's love for us. What put Jesus on the cross? Jesus put Jesus on the cross. He wasn't caught off guard by the Jews that were crucifying him or or punishing him. He wasn't caught off by Pilate who was confused as to what to do. He wasn't caught off guard by the Roman officials who instituted the capital punishment of crucifixion. He wasn't caught off guard by any of that. That didn't sneak up on him. What put Jesus on the cross was his great love that he has for you and that he has for me. Love is the ultimate truth of the cross. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let me read that one more time. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And the cross is a unique identity only associated with Jesus. The cross is uncomfortable even for those of us who walk in faith. But it is the ultimate emblem of love because Jesus knew all of this but still chose to die for you and me, and not only that, considered it joy. Let's not skip the cost of Friday for the joy that comes with Sunday. Pay attention to the cross, because that's where we get to experience the love of God.
finished. Man, what cool words for us to hear. Uh, Know that when Jesus utters those words, it is finished. That is not him saying, I am finished. That is not Jesus saying, you are finished. That's not saying the, the hard stuff is finished. That's not saying that it's nothing but easy stuff going forward. What he's saying is the mission is finished. I came and did what I was called to do. And the cross was the mission. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be in a room full of cross people. That we get to come and we recognize this. We call this day Good Friday. And what a paradox. What a paradox. But here's the thing. The reason why we can call this Good Friday is because Sunday was awesome. And we have the advantage of looking back in hindsight and going, Ah, that's what the cross was all about. See, Sunday gives meaning to Good Friday. Sunday gives purpose to it being finished. And so we want uh, just to make sure that you are aware that tomorrow we have an Easter service at 5 o'clock and on Sunday at 7.39 and uh, 10.30. We will be here to celebrate the resurrection and we'll be able to say, that's why Friday was so good. That's why Friday was so good. I hope tonight, um, as you gave up part of your Friday, uh, man, you're wrestling with the cross. Um, I, I pray that that's, what's gonna, that that's what's going on. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. You are not going to hear me say the words amen at the end of it. It's going to be an open prayer. You are free to stay in here and pray as long as you want. You can take advantage of our prayer room over there, or you can get up and just be dismissed silently. Uh, No one's going to say, all right, time, you need to leave. That'll be up to you. We do ask that you would respect anybody who's still praying and save conversation for when you get out into the hallways. Um, But man, it is finished. It is finished. And it's because of Sunday that we get to see and celebrate those words. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us cross people um, and that we would allow that, that, that unique truth, that that uncomfortable truth, And that ultimate emblem of love to resonate with us as we go forward. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, we get to say Lord to you because, man, you showed it. You proved it. Cross is evidence of it. God, there is nobody else who gets to claim the cross. 
your word says is it's either a stumbling block or Lord, it is the cornerstone. And God, we in this room choose for this to be the cornerstone of everything we profess, of everything we try to live. Lord, the bizarre thing about the cross is you forgive us even when we didn't know what we were doing or maybe especially when we did. And God, we come to say thank you. We come to say here is everything we have in worship and in praise because you took the ultimate tool of death and you turned it upside down. And Lord, many of us know what it means for you to have turned something upside down. Many of us can testify to our lives being turned upside down for your namesake. And God, we know that that was displayed on the cross. And while there are still those who are mocking, Lord, we also know there are still those who are being convicted by this message. Lord, there was no better display of grace than what you showed on the cross, and now it is available to us all. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for whatever work you're doing right now uh, in the hearts uh, of those that are represented in this room, and may, Lord, that resonate so loudly that we can't help but hear it. God, continue that work. Continue to show your grace, your truth. And, Lord, thank you for the fellowship we get to experience that's around the cross.